Fresh water in his veins. I couldn't think of a better place to end the street than Death Valley, South Carolina, baby. God's going down. God's stepping up. That's what football's all about. And they say we can't do it. What they say now? Welcome back to the podcast. We are two weeks of football season. Brianna Rollins earned Clemson's first individual Olympic gold in the 100-meter hurdles. The only thing less credible than Will Muschamp's recruiting pitch is a Ryan Lochte police report, and life is good. Welcome to the podcast, guys. I'm Nick, your host. I'm joined today by Ben and Cody, and I would like to thank our longtime loyal listeners and welcome new people to the show. If you haven't done it yet, please subscribe to us in your favorite podcasting app, like the iPhone podcast app, on SoundCloud, Stitcher, etc. That way you won't miss a show. And if you're feeling extra generous, tell a friend about the podcast and head over to iTunes and please leave us a review. We'll start today, guys, with some housekeeping notes. Um, Just a heads up that in the coming days, we're going to be releasing a two-part season preview in about the next 10 days. The first part is going to be a Clemson team breakdown. We're going to look at position groups, who we expect to be breakout players this year, and the floor and ceiling of each position group. In part two, we're going to take a look at our competition and the schedule, think about the road to the playoff, and give our season predictions for the coming football season. And we'll also fit in an Auburn game preview show just a few days before the first game. Um, So fellas, before we get started, I thought we'd just take a moment to acknowledge our excitement level for this time of year with football now two weeks away. How are you guys feeling? Yeah, I mean, I, I think of, I compare this to at least for the the passionate Clemson fan, like this, like the lead up to Christmas when you're a kid, like the 12 days. It's it's literally it's 14 days. Uh, I'm literally, you know, shout out to TigerNet because like they come out with an article every few hours, and I'm literally just refreshing my phone, hitting refresh. So credit to them for giving for giving us the coverage. Like I can I can literally watch Venables in an interview, you know, right at like just less than an hour after it happens. And I love you guys know how I love those Venables inter- interviews. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm all time high. Like this is like the best part that anticipation and knowing that your team is a, is a contender. I don't, I can't think of another lead up to the season that's been quite like this. Yeah. And we're nearing the end of fall camp. So you're really starting to feel the excitement. I mean, we're recording this on a Saturday, so we are officially, uh, two weeks out from the start of the season. And it's that time of year where I'm yelling, go tigers to random people wearing orange on the streets of San Francisco. You know, I yelled at a group of road cones the other day. So I'm, <laughs> they're probably giants fans. Uh, yeah. And I don't care. The more, tigers. the better. And I get to say, go tigers more. And I'm going to head to the grocery store this afternoon. So people in the proto section better watch out when I get near the citrus. It's going down. <clears throat> yeah, two weeks. Um, actually, you know, even even shorter until South Carolina kicks off on that first Thursday. Um, so it's all good. I think for me, I don't have enough hours in the day to listen to podcasts, you know, of our opponents' teams or national folks talking about, you know, their expectations for the year and really trying to get a sense for where people are calibrating Clemson. So we'll talk a little bit more about that during our season preview, but it's good stuff. We're finally here. And um, I think part of what you mentioned, Cody, is it really is the anticipation um, is, you know, it's a new we're in uncharted territory for Clemson fans right now, you know, coming in with the top three ranking and um, looking to, you know, build on last year's performance. Um, I'm trying as much as possible to kind of enjoy this time because, you know, it could be fleeting, right? We don't know how long, you know, we're going to be at the mountaintop as we are now. So you never know with injuries and scandals that pop up with certain programs. I don't believe the scandal part is going to happen with Clemson, so I'm not worried about that. But you're right. You do. We're, we can't feel like we're Alabama yet, that we just expect this to happen every year. Um, I'll tell you one thing I'm really excited um, about. You know, we've been doing this podcast for about a year and a half now. I think at this point last year we had about 30 listeners and we're up to well, over 1,500 at this point. Um, I'm just really excited. We feel like we've been getting better at it. Um, we get excited to come and, and talk and try to give you guys some entertainment. Um, one of the coolest parts for me is to be able to enter this season um, in partnership with TigerNet. Um, I think it's a really cool thing. Uh, looking forward to see um, how that makes it helps us get better at what we do, but then also kind of the fanfare and stuff generated from it. We read some comments that we got on iTunes earlier today, and they were you know, we had a few of them on there. We hadn't realized they were there before, but they were. Uh, pretty complimentary of us and we really appreciate that we appreciate everybody listening and again appreciate our sponsorship with uh, our partnership with uh, TigerNet. 
Yeah, and we'll take the negative feedback as well. Please leave us a review on, on TigerNet. I mean, we're, or I'm sorry, please leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, where, you know, or comment more, on TigerNet. More too, people, that or, yeah, I was going to say, or comment on TigerNet. But where more people can find out about us because a lot of people don't know that the a Clemson podcast exists. So, uh, now that'd be very helpful. Like you said, Ben, great to be in partnership with TigerNet. Those are great people, they do great work. Uh, can you imagine as a Clemson fan a lead up into the season without, you know, TigerNet? I mean, I, I couldn't. So, Anyway, it's going to be a great season. Maybe we put a bow in it from here, but uh, we can get in some of the meteor content. So, speaking of Tiger Net, caused some uh, friction on the on the message boards this week. One issue that came up was Deshaun Watson and his comments. Uh, I think it was on ESPN about being stereotyped as a dual threat quarterback. Um, and for one thing, I think it's been a little overblown. It's not really that big of a deal, Clemson fans. It's going to be okay. Um, one thing is that we need to get used to being in the spotlight because it's going to be shining brighter on us this year. That's just the nature of the beast and where we're at. You know, we've had superstars before in C.J. Spiller and uh, Sammy Watkins, but they weren't superstars on elite teams. So Deshaun Watson is a superstar on an elite team, and he's the person who makes this team elite. So we just need to get used to this. Um, and listen, and do I think that he's being stereotyped um, uh, because he's an African-American and being called a dual-threat quarterback? Well, if it's because uh, the perception is, is that uh, dual-threat quarterbacks don't pass well, um, it, which in reality that really makes them a single-threat uh, quarterback if they're just relying on their legs, um, then yes, I think if, if that's the perception then I think so. But let's be honest, Deshaun Watson is a true dual-threat quarterback. He's a great passer and a great runner and can do both. I think he just doesn't want to be pegged by NFL teams as being a run-first quarterback, only being able to run. Like, he can be a pass-first quarterback. He is a great passer. Yeah, and I think the frustration lies with, like, within the Clemson fan base in, in that people that are, people are just finding out about Deshaun Watson. The national championship game was – Unfortunately, it was the introduction to the nation that, hey, here's this great quarterback from Clemson. I, I, it should have came much earlier. I, I, guys, he was at the Heisman. He was a Heisman finalist. I feel like people knew about him before then. I, 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 know, I know people knew about him, but I listened to national podcasts, and I still feel like these guys didn't have a great grip on Deshaun Watson. Even It took, it took the national championship game for them to fully realize how good he was. And right. so, so much of it is... Uh, he's a he's this dual threat dual threat quarterback. He can run, uh, but uh, people don't realize coming into he, he broke I, I believe the Georgia state record in high school for passing <coughs> yards. He was a passer first. His first against Georgia and Athens. Yeah. He, that his first play big play was like that just pre- precise pass to Sharon Peak running uh, running down the seam. Uh, that's where his value's at. I think like you said he doesn't want to be typecast because NFL scouts don't really care that much about his ability to scramble in the zone read. They want to make sure he can be accurate, go through his progressions. And I think he has, I think he has the potential to do that. He does need to improve, but he's definitely a pass-first dual threat who, who, knows, who knows how to find uh, opportunities when they're there yeah, in the I run th- game. I think the bigger confusing problem is, is we call any quarterback that really can't throw that well but has you know, great speed and can scramble, we call them dual threat. When in actuality, maybe they are only single threat because they can really just run better than anything else. I think that's the biggest problem. But yes, Deshaun Watson is, I mean, he's everything you want in a quarterback. He is an all-around complete player. I mean, the big thing this year in the offseason is is he's working on his footwork. You don't hear that a lot about a lot of other quarterbacks who are trying to come along. They're trying to learn the system. They're trying to learn to to pick apart defenses and stuff like that. But, you know, it's the little intricacies of the game that he now is focusing on because he is so good at everything else. I mean, listen, we've got another guy. Look no further than Hunter Renfro on the team. I think he's been stereotyped as well. Um, a lot of people will easily compare him to Adam Humphreys or, or, or Grisham, and I think that's a little bit lazy. Um, I mentioned this before. I think he compares favorably with Jerron Brown. Yeah, I, you see it across all sports, too. I, I can't stand anything worse than that lazy narrative of compare the white guy, especially in basketball. Compare the white guy to the, the white guy or a black guy that looks similar in the face to another black guy. Anyway... It's it's lazy. It's like look at their game. Like a lot of white black players compare favorably to one another. In, in this case, Hunter Renfro, he runs like a four five forty. This is a, a really good athlete. Uh, if you watch his high school film. He was playing quarterback. Just you know, just like just open field speed. And it's probably a lot of the reason why he wasn't recruited heavily by by any big schools. Absolutely, I totally agree with that. I mean, I, one thing I'm I'm happy about is Deshaun felt. Comfort, comfortable and confident enough that he could speak out on this if he's felt, you know, bothered 
at Absolutely. this point. Yeah, no, um, good for him. I completely support him and, and what he said and how he feels. And again, he's trying to set himself up for su- success, moving to the next level. You're seeing people come out like Todd Mache saying Brad Kaya is a better all-around quarterback than Deshaun Watson. I saw that. I don't. I don't think he necessarily. He thought he sees him, uh, Brad Kaya, in the in the pro style offense as going through his progressions, making decisions really quickly. And I, I will say, I know this is a sour note on Deshaun Watson, and no one wants to hear this, but it is a huge learning curve moving from that hurry up no huddle to a pro style offense. There will be some a learning curve for Deshaun Watson. He's not gonna, and it, it, that really goes to the NFL team that drafts him. Are they gonna try to work within his skill set? And then is Deshaun Watson going to put in the work? And I think we all know that the, the answer there. And I think he's shown the ability to adapt and learn pretty well. Absolutely. You just talked about him working on his footwork. Yeah. Yeah. Give him an offseason. If he can stay healthy, he'll, he'll be just fine. Well, guys, elsewhere in the news, we're hearing a lot in the last week or so. There's been things reported out there related to Clemson's football operations facility. $55 million project uh, should be taking the shrink wrap off of that in 2017. Uh, but a lot of press has been coming out about that. You guys might've read articles out there. Um, so I think, you know, when I, when I think about this operations facility, it looks cool. Um, looks great. I think this is emblematic of pretty much the arms race of, you know, investment in your program, largely related to recruiting and not even just keeping up with the Joneses, but trying to set a new standard in college football that Clemson is, uh, we're, we're right there with any other program in terms of having the facilities, you know, to develop players and really prioritize the football team, um, above a lot of other things. Um, yeah, so it was pretty cool to, uh, the article on TigerNet the other day to watch the, the video of the facility and I've been kind of keeping track, um, as it's been going up. And if you just, uh, Google online, the Clemson football ops facility, you'll find a page dedicated to it. And it has some, uh, renderings and whatnot to really give you a feel for the space. Um, and I'll, I think it's great for the program. I really do. I think it's gonna be a fantastic facility that gives us a huge advantage in recruiting. And I'll try not to go into too much of an architectural diatribe here. Um, but, and I will preface this by saying that I am an architect. I have architecture degrees from Clemson and Kansas. So I can think I can speak a little bit about this. Um, Wait, you're not just a podcaster? I'm not just a podcaster. No, that is my subpar hobby. I'm more an architect by trade. Um, Not a fan of the exterior look of the building. First, don't we have enough brick on that campus? I mean, it is all brick. (laughs) And then they're trying this, like, the exterior facade. It's trying to be classical in the front, but the proportions aren't really there. And then you move to the back, it gets more modern with these random boxy forms and glass everywhere. It's almost the architectural version of a mullet. And you know, mullets are kind of a Gamecock thing. They really belong in and around Columbia. Ben, aside from, you know, your, obviously your expertise, your advanced knowledge of architecture, what do you think of it from like a, just like the, the things that are within it? You're talking about a bowling alley, you're talking about laser tag, all of these things. I, I wish I had the list right now. I, I'm blown away by the, all the things they're packaging into it. I mean, what, what are your thoughts there? On just Well, no, I mean, I, I think it's, listen, I think it's going to be a great facility. Um, everything that's in there to support uh, the athletes. Um, you, you're talking about the, the focus on nutrition now, how before they go into uh, the cafeteria, they you know, scan their uh, thumbprint or whatever in their scales, and a menu pops up and it tells them what they should eat that day for them to meet their goals. You know, the team's brought on a nutritionist. So I think that focus um, has been really cool. And it's interesting to see that technology be incorporated into this building. Um, And the other thing is the paw journey, that whole thing that they're setting up in there led by Jeff Davis. um, It's going to feature the success of uh, former Clemson athletes in not just the athletic uh, realm, but in the business world. So I think setting these players up for success because only a small percentage of them are going to go on to play in the NFL for an extended period of time and to be able to make a living off of that. So I think that focus of the building is, is huge because life goes beyond football. Yeah. And I would say that in terms of it, bowling's fun, laser tag's fun, but I'm a 17 year old kid and I see all these things and I see in like, like you mentioned the, the Paul journey, like I'm blown away. If I'm a parent, I'm blown away. You're telling me my kid's going to be insulated. It's going to be a football culture, you know, not going to be out getting in trouble. I mean, there's something to be said for, like, you talk about Columbia. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of dicey. It's the nation's, or the, not the nation's, but the state's capital. Uh, you're talking about, you have, like, you eat uh, 
breathe and sleep football and school and you you become the best you can be as a person this is this is huge and i know uh, yeah it's going to be a little ugly for a for modern well, architect and and but it's also going to be great and design of the exterior side because i think at the end of the day that really is going to have no effect on it that's just my personal critique and listen i'm not immune from bad design i've designed bad stuff in my career as an architect <laughs> like it happens uh, so listen i'll put that on myself as well um, but overall, yeah, I, I think the vision um, uh, for the building itself, Dabo's vision and what this thing is, I think it almost more even kind of cements the fact in my mind that Dabo's going to be here for a very long time. I mean, this is his baby. Um, <coughs> one other thing that does concern me, though, is this slide. You know, this, I, this is what I love about Dabo. He just has a fun personality. That's part of what makes him such a great leader and a great coach. But... Do you think somebody was a little starstruck when Dabo brought up the idea of a slide and thought this was a good idea? Because I really question our player safety. Slides, is it something that's really engineered well enough so that if, like, like, if Tyrone there Crowder... There obstacles on the slide <laughs> sure. like, that we don't know but, about? But no, but like, think about it. What if like Tyrone Crowder and Dexter Lawrence decide that they want to go twosies down this slide? And Hunter Rippo's waiting at the bottom? Yeah. <laughs> Are we confident this thing can really support 700 pounds of grown man? Okay. I'm worried. <laughs> Well, let's say like player let's safety. Let's hope the, the engineers on campus have helped them at least design that part. We'll see. They better the thought of that scenario. Center. Between that, if Davos like the worst decision I think Davos made in his tenure at Clemson is the the graveyard because I don't think he had a lot of foresight when he started breaking out this graveyard of of uh, of but opponents that, that we've that predated him. Oh, did it? Yeah, the graveyard okay, predated well, him. We just didn't beat a lot of glad, <laughs> right. top two tweens on the road before him. Glad you called me on that because I think we're going to have a lot more wins and there's just not enough space. But and anyway. for a moment, I thought, I mean, isn't that a Florida State thing? The graveyard? Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think it might be. Doing some fact checking. Anyhow, well, maybe my my take or moving on from, from this because I think as a guy that follows recruiting, it's it's – such a big thing uh and we had a huge commitment just this week that i'd like to chime in on and that was aj terrell five star again that's from rivals five star defensive back he's a cornerback could play safety out of georgia he is just a freak of an athlete top 10 overall player and this is by rivals you see a little i guess uh disparity in, in between different services but I, I i tend to trust rivals i think they have the most resources the most guys in the field and you usually see rivals come out with their rankings and then you'll see like espn kind of adjusting their rankings based off of rivals they just don't have the the same I, I don't think they have the same resources or same guys on on the on the floor um but this is yet another recruit pulled from the middle of sec country from atlanta that you know you could argue shouldn't kirby smart have been there um, coming in, you know, is in this Auburn, Alabama territory. No, Clemson got in there and grabbed yet another five star. Right, late Auburn, in the game too. Well, late, like the, I guess like a short sale cycle maybe is what you're right. what you mean. Yeah. So Auburn was kind of an early leader. Uh, Florida was the childhood favorite, and that always and that always can be a, a big thing and be a be a big factor. So it came down to Clemson, Florida. And South Carolina, South Carolina was really just in there because of, I think of a relationship with the position coach. But this is a huge, huge commit. So let me. So David Hood, he he does a great job. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't try to be like the guy that's you know re- reporting the breaking news or you know get the get the rumor mill started. But he's a guy that builds relationships with recruits and he'll report on this, these types of things. I think he becomes an extension of the program. You know, kind of shedding or painting these recruits in a positive light. I think that's important. Anyway, he had an interview with Terrell, and a couple of his comments were. You know, one, the all-in cookout was really what sealed the deal, which, again, like, if, if you can have one all-in cookout per year just to get an A.J. Terrell, totally worth it. Pays for itself. Family atmosphere, that's the big thing. He's a family guy. Um, that I saw other families, other players that can say this is, this is Clemson is what they say it is. It's not a facade. What you, what you see is what you get. And, and then credit to, credit to Mike, Mike Reed. Big big uh, pickup on his part, but a lot of, a lot of different factors. Lee Anthony Williams, the other cornerback in the fold, was was a, a big factor. Helped him get get rides to the to the school. Um, their friends, great cornerback combo. And then a big part of this, I think, was in the David Hood interview was they coaches never promise playing time. So many, so many, so many coaches who want to get that big that big recruit, a five star recruit, 
will promise recruits the world. You look at Jamius Williams, who is a, a really good cornerback. This cycle was favoring Clemson. Ends up, it looks like he's leading to South Carolina because they're promising, promising him the world. Clemson doesn't do that. They say, you'll have a chance for playing time when you arrive. But you got to you got to earn it. Well, of well, course, he played thing. when he arrived at South Carolina. They had nobody else worth putting <laughs> need, out there. They need him. I mean, that's the kind of thing that we did see in the the Bowden administration as well, right? At least early on. Well, didn't he promise Jamie Harper the opening carry in that Alabama game that he fumbled, and we saw what happened with that? So, listen, I'm, you know, and that speaks to a lot to his maturity level. And I think one thing that I'm really impressed, and this just doesn't just apply to Terrell. This applies to a lot of these guys that we're bringing in now. And, and Dabo said this the other day uh, when he was talking about the mid-year enrollees uh, coming in um, in January. He described them as four more great young people. Not football players, not athletes, but four more great young people. So this emphasis on academics and family, like Terrell spoke a little bit about the, the educational opportunities at Clemson. I've just really been impressed by the quality of young men being brought in to this program. And it's not just because of their athletic uh, ability, but their maturity and mindset. You know, they're, they're not just great athletes, but they seem like really great people. Um, a college degree seems to be really important to a lot of them. And, you know, for me, I'm doing pretty well with where I'm at in my life right now. But if I was that driven and committed to something at that age, I would be a better person for it. So kudos to these guys coming in as high school students, you know, just out of high school and just being this driven and mature and motivated. And I, I took some notes and that was kind of one of the things that I took from this was that it, when you when you sell something and what you're selling is a a full package like the way that they're they're selling Clemson now about education you know learning to develop you as a man and then of course football developing you as a football player these three things combined uh, it's going to lend itself uh, to, to someone that wants that that has a little bit of foresight maybe a strong family backing and it's going to filter out some of the guys and I'm not going to use Jameis Woodson or Jameis Williams because he could potentially still be a, a tiger but uh a guy that really wants to be coddled, he wants a, a lot of, he wants to be told, you know, we're, we're going to make your dreams come true, you're going to start from day one. It filters out a lot of those guys. Well, and so the coaching staff, we're at a point now where we don't have to take the Mike Bellamy's and the, the Chad Kelly's of the world anymore. They can focus on the top elite players and pick the character guys that really fit in uh, with the mindset and culture that, that is built around the Clemson family, and it's fantastic. And, and you do, I mean, you do have to, build to get there you do have to sure. promise jamie harper you know maybe a, a snap in the opening play whatever yet maybe you had to do that in early going board a place now where we have the leverage and i you know another thought i had was like i mean just, that got dabbo the job <laughs> that's true <laughs> but let's talk about what he means on the field though because that's i think that's the important thing uh we're, we're losing we're losing tank again he could play the cornerback position the safety position uh i think qt compared him to ramsey Jalen Ramsey from Florida State, who did play cornerback, but was that big, just unbelievably physically gifted cornerback slash safety, so he could play either position. Uh, it's a huge position of need for us because of Tank leaving, but also you've seen kind of the the pecking order this this uh, this spring and this in this fall. Yeah, I think a combo of him and Mullen on the opposite side with. Uh, Terrell bringing more physical and Mullen with those elite cover skills. That could be a really good combo. Not to mention Mark Fields is playing a little bit better now, and he's going to be a factor in the mix. Yeah, it gives you – I mean, we're not saying necessarily that uh, uh, Terrell will come in and start right away, but I think he will hit that 2D pretty quickly. Absolutely. He's super physical. He's bigger than Mullen. Uh, he has world-class speed too. We're not, great Mullen, range of motion. Great, yeah. Unbelievable good instincts. He, he, he has played the cornerback position, and I can't – emphasize you know, enough how important that is tj green did not play safety in in high school he maybe he did but he, it took him a while to adjust he played some receiver terrell has played cornerback and safety you know his whole career so he knows how to play the position good instincts he's not going to get beat at the point of attack he's a strong guy he'll get off blocks venables loves that so he's a guy you can really push in into the into the two deep right away he's going to be a player for his weaknesses or maybe you know his learning curve that elite elite speed will make up for a lot of that and mitigate any kind of weakness there. And another upside in how this is an asset to the program is he's now already talking about helping recruit Xavier McKinney and Malik Herring. Bring him on. And we thought Malik Herring was, what, sure for Georgia? Is that what we were thinking? I think he's still, I think he's still leaning we to Georgia. St he still sends out, like, random tweets that, I don't know, 
it's kind of head games with that. And we've seen the coaching staff kind of shy away from players like that. But if they get Malik Herring in this cycle, and maybe one of my bigger <coughs> points was that we look at our class like we, we're not having all these top five or we'll say top two recruiting classes. We're having top five, top ten classes. Because we don't have 20 spots, 20 spots to give like a Florida State. We don't run guys off. So our recruiting classes are smaller. But some of the top-end talent is just as good as anybody in the nation. Well, look at Hunter Johnson, uh, T. Higgins, best two at their position. And now you have Terrell, who's the best DB in this class. Well, go on Rivals and look at their average star rankings for the 2017 team rankings. Clemson's still like ranked number 11. And this will get them in the top 10. We have the highest average star ranking at like 3.85 stars per player. We may not end up in the top 10 this year because, like you said, our class is going to be so uh, is not going to be as big as the others around the country. But the quality of the guys that we have, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, right. look at that average star ranking more than anything else. Absolutely. It's, it's about efficiency, like quant- uh, quality over quantity, because, and that's kind of the name of the game. It's kind of indicative of Clemson as a whole right now as an athletic program, as a football program, because we don't have a huge budget. Hopefully it'll get better with this new ACC deal, but we're making efficient decisions in our coaching and uh, facilities and things like that, and we're Clemson, doing the same in recruiting. Clemson also doesn't overcommit or oversign, right? Like like you see in other schools. Well, Alabama's already like lost, I think, four guys from last year, the 2015 recruiting class, I believe. Yeah, including a high profile transfer in the last week or so. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, yeah, well, they they just play the numbers game, and they, they they treat it like a business. They run you off whenever if you're not produ- producing, if you're not the guy they thought you were going to be. By the time you're a sophomore, you're you're ran off. You you, you don't see that, and I, that's the thing I can I can take some pride from. And I, the program is ran the right way. It's still it's still in the Dabba does it the right way. And we were a couple plays away from beating Alabama in the national championship game. So you know what? It works. So far, so good. Any other recruiting notes, Cody? I mean, um, you know, great to see Terrell come in. A little disappointed in the way that he announced relative to the likes of a Logan Rudolph we saw earlier or in the year. Or T. Higgins. Or T. Logan Higgins. Rudolph did not finish chopping down the tree, okay? I want to point that out. And that you know about. hugely disappointing. <laughs> no other recruiting da- uh, updates right now, but I, I will say, I think, and we do not want to start talking about 2017, so much to look forward to in 2016, but just a, a quick peek, quick sneak, uh, quick, you know, peek ahead to 2017. I think getting him in the fold and really solidifying the cornerback and the DBs, uh, I, 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 I can't help but think that 2017 defense is going to be very salty. It's going to be like the 2014 version, back to Venables having a top five defense. I, I really think it's going to be that good. Well, and who do we expect to lose from this year's team? Ben Woolware, Cordray Tankersley, Jadar right. Johnson, Carlos Watkins. Yeah, we're, lo- we're losing some parts, but now, again, you, you plug in for Tank, you plug in a Terrell. Trayvon Mullen, Mark Fields, they develop. Adrian Baker comes back. Uh, you're plugging in Shaq Smith at, as a five-star to replace Bulware with a year in the system. Denzel Johnson. There's just not. Yeah, you, Tanner Muse, Isaiah Simmons. You have depth that, like, yeah. similar to the depth that you had uh, in 2014. I just think it's it's a very rugged. De- it's gonna. It's looking like a top five. And defense. I think that's been the weaknesses <laughs> of the defense uh, last year and coming into this year has been the lack of depth. I think starting next year, you're going to see that depth, that quality depth, being built again. I think so. And you're starting to see it. Starting to see it this year. Yeah. Well, guys, why don't, why don't we pivot at this point to news and notes coming out from fall camp? Uh, there was some unfortunate news early in the week uh, that broke related to defensive end Austin Bryant, who plays a strong side, um, coming down with a broken fifth metatarsal bone in his foot. Uh, looks like that we're projecting that he'll be out until looks like around the Louisville game. Some people even think NC State game or later. Uh, we were here in Georgia Tech, weren't we? That was the optimistic. Most no, we optimistic. know how that goes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what this essentially means is for you know at least the the very first game of the year against Auburn, we get a couple of um, lesser opponents immediately after that. Uh, we will be without Bryant's services, and then to add an insult to injury, there um, another strong side end player, Xavier Kelly, uh, went down with an injury from and you know undisclosed specific injury here, but had a moped incident um, this week. Thankfully, he he, you know, survived that relatively unscathed um, compared to what it could have been. He was struck by a vehicle, um, so the kid texting while driving a vehicle. Do not text and drive, folks. Um, anyway, and not wear great, a helmet if you're riding a moped. Not great news on the defensive end position that was already relatively thin coming into this year. Um, people have written about and spoken about why it's been so thin. Uh, but guys, where do you think that leaves us in terms of depth chart and? 
being able to field a, a team there. We just had an episode where we talked about quality depth and how that will change and override a lot of things that went wrong in 2015 to 2016. Well, one thing I guess probably didn't fully acknowledge was how thin we are at defensive end because we felt pretty good about Christian Wilkins moving out to the strong side defensive end in case like injury or something like that and he's going to have to do it. I don't consider this an optimal move. This is a, it's a big blow. It really is. There's no other way to say it. Uh, you factor in that Xavier Kelly is is hurt, and, the, and he wasn't actually looking like he was going to play the part at least against Auburn. But uh, that's a big it's a big blow. Well, Xavier Kelly, they're thinking is going to be back in practice next week. So I think just in general, he wasn't going to be able to ready to play that game. The injury aside, um, I mean, the biggest reason it's a big blow is he's our most experienced defensive end. He had 219 snaps uh, in 13 games last year, including 63 in the Orange Bowl after Lawson went down. Um, and the other reason it's a big thing is because Jurgen is still an unknown. Like, how good is he going to be? I think I think he's likely to start start against Auburn, uh, not Christian Wilkins. And let's see how he goes. You know, a lot of people are really up on him, um, and some people are saying that he just needs the opportunity to get out there and play. He's kind of a, a Vic Beasley type. He can rush the pass and, and track horizontal stuff as well. Um, but does he have the strength and quickness and awareness to get? back inside and make plays you know he has trouble setting the edge sometimes is he going to be uh disciplined to really maintain that edge and that's the things we don't know because we haven't seen him play a lot well one of the things that we read about like why is it important to have depth and experience at that position not even depth but an experienced player there and you talk about the sort of offensive they call it eye candy that a Gus Malzahn type offense will throw out there with the zone read or um you know any other types of kind of tricks that um, a high-powered spread offense will throw at you. Players like even an Austin Bryant that has some game experience, you talk about Kevin Dodd that, that he was intended to replace. Those guys have seen a lot of this throughout the years and throughout different games. They know what to look for, like signals that, hey, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna fake a handoff your way, but the quarterback's gonna push out to the outside, et cetera. For Richard Yergin, he might bite on some things that, you know, a more experienced player might not. Well, and again, sorry, Cody, real quick. And that's why that I think he'll start, but if he starts to struggle, we're going to see Christian Wilkins get thrown in there. And talk about game experience. That's one thing that he, Christian Wilkins does have. He had like close to 500 snaps, I believe, last year um, after I don't think he started initially at the beginning of the season. But what a smart move by the coaching staff to get him reps in the spring because I, I think we're set up well. Listen, we got guys at defensive tackle that can play that position. No problem. It's in that's the problem. If Wilkins can come in in a situation where Jurgen's not cutting it or some of the other guys aren't cutting it and really make a difference, then I, th- I think it's a huge move and a great um, option. It's a valuable thing to have. If there's a positive that we can take from the injury, it's when it happened because starting next week, we'll go into our Auburn prep. And Gus Malzahn, like you talked about, Tully, in that offense, there's a lot of, a lot of eye candy, a lot of trickery that goes on, a lot, you know, zone reads, that, that sort of thing. And, th- and their quarterback, their new quarterback, that they're putting in the system. I believe his name is James Franklin, maybe. Super, super fast. Super, like, he will be able to beat you on the outside in a way that, you know, like Nick Marshall from years before could. So why this is important, well, Christian Wilkins will get a chance now to, to have, you know, two weeks, essentially two weeks of prep to start where they'll, they'll have the scout team running similar sets, and he can get kind of acclimated to that sort of an offense. But make, make, make no mistake about this as well, like, Christian Wilkins is not like we we think of him as just all world. He's an all world defensive tackle. He he could potentially be an all American as a strong side defensive end. He's he's more situational. He, he's good to have there as a backup, but it's not what we want to do. And I guess Richard Jurgen, who by I don't to my knowledge has not played strong side defensive end. You're moving him to a different side of the field. It's not the best sort of thing. But if they can make something work between uh, kind of first second down with Wilkins. Maybe uh, Jurgen on a third down situational type deal could be in could be in okay shape. I believe you just claimed all American is better than all world. So that's some hell of a patriotism coming out of you there, Cody. Um, and <laughs> it's, you, it's John Franklin III. Uh, he'll be the starting. John starter. Franklin. Yeah, okay. James Franklin's the Penn State coach. What do you guys expect Venables to do? I, I have an answer here that I was chatting about with Alex Kraft. But what do you? How do you expect Brent Venables to? lend support over there, you know, kind of make up for what he gets out of Jurgen or Wilkins, who that's not their natural position. Well, let me flip it back to you because I'm a little, I'm lost for a loss of words right now. So what do you think? What did Alex Graff say? Well, in essence, I think it's a matter of this is where the linebackers just play such a critical role. Um, 
and we expect to see or you know Alex was saying it's it's gonna be really it puts so much more pressure on Ben Bulware uh, to to perform on that side and you know potentially that's where do we do things with pressures so that they can't um, they won't, won't have enough time to kind of you know tease the the strong side end that that makes sense I would say it would start too with the interior line where we still feel like we have a top three if not the best unit in the entire country if we can get penetration it just it makes everything more difficult it makes those zone reads more difficult and that's so, but we want christian wilkins as a starter there we don't want him as a defensive end and that penetration is huge the the defensive tackles definitely need to get more uh this year and provide more sacks to kind of take some of the burden off the defensive ends uh they only had four sacks last year when they didn't bring pressures as part of the scheme so uh that needs to improve for sure um, but I think we'll see that happen. You got the likes of um, Dexter Lawrence and Dex- Scott Pagano. Dexter Lawrence, Scott uh, Pagano, and Watkins. Yeah, uh, in there. I mean, so- I, that's why I think one of Christian Wilkins' greatest assets is he could play that nose tackle and just you know take all the blocks on. But he can also be a guy like Grady Jarrett that can get penetration, and that's why we want him. Uh, at, the, at the three technique, the defensive tackle. Throw, where you throw Dexter Lawrence at DE. They won't be able to go through them or around them. <laughs> in, in all, in all, uh, you know, realness, he is uh, and have him and be able to put him in there. And what we think Albert Huggins will be, huge, huge uh, shot in the arm for the for the defense because he's going to be he's going to be special from from the onset. It's just a matter of like you know, experience plays. Will he you know will he miss an assignment here and there? Uh, that's what like, things that'll be determined. But he's going to be a handful. Imagine an offensive lineman just you know going down in their their three point stance and looking at Dexter Lawrence. It's all they're gonna be able to see. They won't be able to see anything else. It's just imagine it. <laughs> take up their entire field of vision. Uh, you you mentioned uh, the Auburn game, but it's not not just Auburn. It's Georgia Tech and Louisville. You know, right. playing defensive end is not what it used to be. There's a lot to digest now. Modern off- offenses are getting the ball into the hands of their most athletic guys and getting them to the outside more out on the edge. And then also the zone read doesn't really allow the DEs to just line up and go after the quarterback anymore. You have to track the ball and be in the right place. You know, Dan Brooks says it's almost like playing against the triple option all the time. So, listen, we, we, we do have quality athletic players there, talented players. Um, some of these guys will be NFL players. We just don't know who it's going to be yet. Lawson, Dodd, Beasley, they all had to develop into becoming really good defensive ends. So we're just going to have to see. Again, we're going to have to th- going to have to go out there. We're going to have to see what he can do. we got guys behind him. You know, is Jabril Robinson really an option at this point? Scott Picano says Chris Register is the most improved player he's seen in camp. Dabo said that as well. So, you know, he's Register's put a lot of weight on and gotten faster. So can these guys? We just don't know, and that's the problem. But we didn't know about Kevin Dodd last year. Yeah, we'll see sort of who emerges, and I know you guys will get into this within the Auburn game. I don't know if this is necessarily a situation where we really need the offense to carry the team and put up points early, so Gus Malzahn you know, really needs to focus more about throwing the ball downfield. With a high-powered offense, you know, you can chip away with four, five, six-yard zone read-type plays and score points quickly. So well, I guess we'll just have to see sort of how the depth chart comes through with the last few days of practice. And, and that's the up. thing. We're not opening with a, a cupcake this year. We're, I mean, Auburn is not what they used to be, but they're still going to be a pretty good team in all likelihood. We'll, we'll dig in deeper too, but they do have talent. They've recruited really well. That defense yeah. is very, very talented. And I have to look at their offensive line. I, if, if, I can, if I can think of the one area where we can hopefully, uh, I guess, kind of stymie their offense – it would be on the interior line. Like that's where we can cut off the, the head of the snake and, and really make life difficult for them and then allow those linebackers like Boware to hit their gap. Dorian O'Daniel, too. I right. feel like that's where he may get more snaps in the Sovereign game that you might otherwise have seen um, is playing sideline to sideline. And I, I know they keep bringing it up, next man up. You know, The defense says they went through the same thing last year after we sent whatever eight guys into the draft the year before. But it's not going to work out that way every single time. There are going to be some bumps in the road. Like I don't think the defense this year coming into the season is going to be able to prop up a, a slow start and support a slow start by the offense to begin the, the season. The offense is going to need to hit the ground running in game one this year. But I feel really good about that happening. I think they are going to put up enough points that it's, the defense is not going to lose the game for us. Like there's, I don't think Auburn's going to be able to outscore us. 
I, I would say, you know, I, I agree, especially in Auburn, that's a, and Ben Boer talked about, he had an interview on Tiger Net where he talked about the, uh, the noise and how that, he's like, I don't care if it's not SEC noise, it's not ACC noise, it's just noise, and we, we're used to it. Um, well, and, and so it's going to be loud, and now Auburn's having an orange out, they're going to be wearing all orange, so it's, it's going to feel like a home game, right? I, I, I guess, but here's what Boer I didn't properly consider, it's that the defense is going to, or the audience is going to be loud when we're, when they're on defense. Right. And, you know, it, it does make life a little bit more difficult. When so, Auburn's on defense and we're on offense. Correct. Right. I said it wrong. But, yeah. So, uh, I guess, I guess I really don't, don't underestimate how important that home field advantage is in a first, in the first game in a, their national, or their state rival just won the national championship. That's a very passionate group of fans. No, I mean, it's going to be a tough game for sure. I don't expect us to go in there and, and blow them out by three scores by any stretch of the imagination. That being said, I think we're clearly the better team. Our offense is far superior. They're going to be the best offense in the country. And I think that's going to be good enough to keep this defense afloat until, A, we get Austin Bryant back. And B, some of these true freshmen are able to get their feet under them, get acclimated to the college game, and become impact players in the second half of the year. Guys, so we don't treat the rest of the show as an Auburn preview, because we're going <laughs> to give it its due um, in a week or so here. I want to transition. Ben, you just mentioned the freshmen. Uh, two shows ago, we talked about who the impact freshman will be this year, You know where we really think people will step up to make the team versus others, you know, relying on the red shirt season to build some um, experience. I think we're starting to hear news coming out of who Dabo expects to fall on which side of the coin. Um, ben, I know you've read up on this. So we know the obvious people who are going to play. Tavion Feastier is going to get on the field. He's really starting to hit his stride and get comfortable with the game at this level, I think. So that's on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, We've kind of known all, in, uh, all along that Ankrum and Pollard, they were uh, early uh, mid-year enrollees. Um, so that's big from an offensive line standpoint. We knew they were going to play. John Simpson, we didn't think originally that he was going to get on the field this year. We knew he was a guy that was, uh, you know, really had all the physical tools. But to come in here into the fall and to make the impression that he did and pick, be able to pick up the playbook – it really speaks a lot to his ability and work ethic. The fact that they're going to put, you know, three true freshmen are not going to redshirt. That also speaks a lot to our offensive line recruiting. I mean, who's, who has three true freshmen offensive line play when we have all these other studs in front of them? It's not easy coming, as, coming in as an offensive lineman and, and getting the redshirt burned. But, yeah, that's, that lets you know we've hit. I mean, and you don't even find out a lot of cases until one or two years later that we actually hit on an offensive lineman. Letting you, just to know that – Pollard or Ingram could potentially be hitting the two deep. It lets you know that we've, we've, at the very least, we've hit on these guys. They will be productive players at some point in their Clemson career, even if it's not this year. Uh, in terms of Simpson, I think he's looks like at this point, a lot can change over time. Looks like he's the best of the bunch. I think that's, I mean, coming on the hills of for Morgan and Hyatt, and not and with two solid players and Jella and uh, Gaella. I don't know how to pronounce his name and Green. Another great recruiting class along the offensive line. <coughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's other redshirt freshmen and true freshmen coming in on this offensive line that are going to make an impact down the road. Like, we seem to have solved that offensive line issue of getting guys in there that can really be dominant, and that's going to be a strong force on this offense, which is, you know, especially with the guys we have in there, it's all the more amazing that Simpson was is able to make a dent and avoid that redshirt this year. Right. He's, he's, he's super talented, can play guard, tackle, versatility is great in our system. Uh, huge, huge plus. I think I've talked to you guys about this in text. I won't, we're not talking about 2017 again, but knowing that our offensive line will actually be better. It's ranked in some, some polls as the best offensive line in the nation in 2016. The fact that it'll be better next year, there's no reason to think it otherwise, really. I mean, everyone's returning except Guillermo. Yeah. Uh, some assuming there's not attrition or NFL departures. Yeah, and then some anonymous ACC coach. Thanks. We're not gonna be able to drive anybody Thanks, off the yeah. ball, though. So uh, Tyrone Crowder, yeah, he's he should have a chip on his shoulder because of that. As long but as he doesn't fall off that slide. <laughs> Watch out for that slide. <laughs> him, him and Dex aren't allowed on that slide together. Um, another guy, another guy on offense, uh, Cornell Powell. Um, I think he definitely gets on. We know he's gonna get on the field this year. Um, one, I think he's really gonna sell, excel at kick return, and that's something that we've really anticipated. Is he gonna break the regular rotation? Two deep rotation at the wide receiver position? I don't think so. But it's going to be a reason to watch closely 
uh, the end of games during blowouts this year because it's going to be really exciting to see him get on the field and take some passes from either uh, Kelly Bryant or Nick Schusler. If you're a Braves fan, and a lot of our listeners are Braves fans because, you know, just naturally, you're probably looking at the minor league, like, box score. Well, it's kind of a similar case. We have a lot coming through down the pike in terms of young guys that will be really special players. And Cornell Powell, I believe, is one of them. Along with Feaster, who you probably won't see feature a lot early in games, but we do play in the ACC. There's going to be some blowouts. There's going to be some second halves where we kind of tune out. But you don't have to tune out because you're going to see some special players uh, in previous years, like you mentioned, Tully, like those guys will be our future players from the from the onset, but they're going to be in our two deep, three deep. Elsewhere, I'm reading a lot of good things about what Kevon Wallace has showed the coaches um, in camp, where maybe they would have expected him to flirt with the red shirt this year. Looks like he's probably going to make you know make the team and get into action. And you're talking about a high three star. I think I think QT would agree. He's probably a four star, really a four star talent. Um, who we picked up late in the game. Yeah, it was a Cincinnati commit, flipped to Clemson very late. Out of Virginia, which has become a very fertile recruiting ground for us. Is there a state we're not going in and getting whoever we want? Uh, Texas and Alabama. We haven't pulled a lot out of Alaska yet. <laughs> Hawaii, time, though. We got Hawaii. They need to up their youth programs and improve that. Uh, yeah, but Kevon Wallace, I, I think, goes... When you know... The important thing is not, will they help us this year sometimes? It's really thinking... Are they? Did we hit on these guys? In previous years, it's like year one didn't pan out, year two didn't pan out. When you know in your first year, at the very least, that you hit on a guy, and Kevon Wallace is that guy. He's going to provide quality depth, probably at cornerback, which is love it. But he could also play safety. He could also play nickel, and that's that's huge in Venable system. Well, and that's where they're thinking. I think this year is he's most likely to be used at that nickel position um, as the third corner in those uh, passing situations. They compare him favorably to. Uh, a Marcus Gilchrist type. Let's you know he wasn't some bum high three star. That he was an athlete. He he just needed a little bit of fine tuning and probably not enough recognition. And, and I can see him on special teams too, on kick coverage. There you go. And we need those type of athletes. It's you know it's our. You'll you see a few guys. Uh, Jamie Skalski being another of them, another one of them who is really going to step in uh, to a role maybe later in the season. But I think he avoids a red shirt too, and you'll see him on special teams and not kicking the ball. But you know, yeah, apparently that didn't on, work out like on we kick hoped. coverage. Yeah. No, Dabo said he was kicking some into the end zone, um, but you know, Hugel's kicking him five deep into the wind. So, so maybe I missed this. So <coughs> Skowski is uh, he's slated to not redshirt. Yeah, I think that's the game plan right now. Is they're thinking he's not going to redshirt and maybe step into an inside uh, linebacker rotation sometime later in the season, but definitely you might see him on special teams. So that tells me, like, I, I don't think they would strictly burn a red shirt for special teams it lets me know he's he might be ready like you said as uh at the outside linebacker i believe he's going to be outside right or is he inside i thought it was inside but we can go back and look at that later but i assume he would be taking vinyl or uh bullwear's position but lets me know that stereotype cody (laughs) he's he's more athletic than ben bullwear yeah but i think he i just imagine he's slated for the outside linebacker position anyhow i think uh I think that that shows that he's probably ready as a linebacker to get some reps, and that's a that's a great sign. You're talking yeah. about another three-star player who I think it, that it's like valuation, player valuation. They're like, we like this guy. We see him as a four-star and a good <laughs> so player in our system. Seems like we've gone through a lot of guys that are not going to redshirt. Are there any surprises of guys that are, you know Dabo believes at this point are headed for that uh, distinction? Well, let's talk about two guys here. Uh, Xavier Kelly, we don't think he's going to redshirt, um, but both him and Isaiah Simmons have apparently hit a wall here a couple weeks into camp, and it's very interesting to me that the two Kansas guys are the ones who have kind of hit this wall, and I spoke a little bit about this earlier, how I was concerned a bit having lived in the state of Kansas and seeing the state of high school football there. It's one thing to be physically more dominant than other people, but when you're not playing in programs that really, you know, they're able to teach you the game or just have the same level of competition um, and sophistication that you see more so in the South and the Southeast, (coughs) I think you're going to be at a disadvantage, and I think that's playing out here. So Xavier Kelly, I think we're going to definitely see him in at some point this year once he, because of kind of the lack of depth at the defensive end position. But Isaiah Simmons on the other side, I think there's too much depth in front of him with – 
uh, Jadar Johnson, Van Smith getting the starting job, and then Denzel Johnson and Tanner Muse, and then possibly Ryan Carter or even Wallace moving over. There's just too much depth in front of him. I tend to agree. Maybe it has to do with Kansas high school football, but it's also it's just not easy for any freshman in a, as a safety or defensive end just to get into a system, an inventable system, which is very nuanced. I won't say it's nuanced, but you have to un- understand your role. Um, and to, and like they call it in the, the install, like to learn all these concepts that quickly. Maybe you're right. Maybe the intricacies of their offenses and, or I'm sorry, their defenses in high school weren't as complex. Well, even in their offenses, right? Or even because that's what you're going up against. Yeah. So, but the, I guess the good news, the maybe the positive note we can take for that is both guys show that they are athletes. They are players. Like they liked Simmons. They might not need him because of Tanner Muse and, um, Denzel, Johnson. Denzel Johnson's development. They might not need him to you know, join that 2D, but I, he's a player for us in time, at least. Oh, absolutely. And that's going to contribute to that depth we were talking about uh, moving forward in 2017 and beyond. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, I think I want to look at Zarek Cooper here for a second, and not so much because I thought he was going to play this year. I always figured he would redshirt, um, but more so because of what's happening at the quarterback battle in front of him with Nick Schusler and Kelly Bryant. You know, there's been a battle going back and forth, and we've been a little bit concerned that Kelly Bryant hasn't really taken over that that second-string uh, job outright. But does this really speak more to Nick Schusler really being that good? Dabo says he thinks we can win with both of them. I don't know. The offensive line's better. Pass protection will be better. All the assets around him will be as good as they've ever been. Uh, maybe there's, I don't know, maybe there's a case for that. Uh, in terms of Zarek Cooper, I, I wish they would burn. I wish they would just go go in with him and burn the red shirt because you have some guys we already know who's coming th- down the pike next year a couple of good a couple of good ones he could potentially get some very meaningful experience this year talking about Zarek Cooper and I mean, going to next year as a can I, li- can I stop you there Cody? yeah like, go ahead what is the practical difference between redshirting and not redshirting if you're not getting on the field he's going to travel with them so that's one thing some of the red shirts don't travel. So uh, I think they did say that he will travel with the team. So that's one thing. So, But kind of to speak to what you're saying there, Tully, is he's going to be – if he would probably be the fourth-string quarterback, maybe just ahead of Tucker Israel, right? That fourth-string quarterback is never going to see the field unless it's an extreme, extreme blowout. So why waste his red shirt if he's going to only play well, that would, a few snaps That a would year? be my point, unless it's a, an extreme blowout. There's going to be But can't you burn a red shirt retroactively? You can burn a red shirt yeah. when, in the moment. So you would only burn his red shirt if it was an emergency situation and your other three quarterbacks got hurt. I don't think we, yeah, I don't think we use him because we'll ever need him. At least I hope not. I think we use him because there's going to be a lot of mop-up duty, a lot of mop-up time, a lot of reps to go around because we play in the the ACC. There is a, the back half of the ACC is very poor. But those are going to go to Kelly Bryant, Nick Schusler, and Tucker Israel. But why not give Zarek Cooper a chance? Because when he gets into 2017, he's had some, some real playing time. Against what, though? I mean, at that point in the game, it's the fourth quarter. You're probably even playing these other uh, – <laughs> Holmes called them pancakes, cupcakes. Playing under the bright stringers. lights in, in Wake Forest, North Carolina. You know, under, yeah, that'll get you ready 20, for a national run. <laughs> crazy fans. <laughs> I don't know. I, just, I think there's something to be said to get on the field. There's something to be said for getting on the field, as a, even if it's a, a mop-up duty against Wake Forest, and, and hopefully getting some confidence going into 2017 and actually being a viable option at, at quarterback. I think it's more important that Kelly Bryant's out there throwing some passes and, and honing those skills as opposed to Zarek Cooper. Listen, he's not going to be a three-year and out guy. He needs to focus on getting better this year because there's going to be some competition next year with Bryant, Israel, Hunter Johnson coming yeah, in. Maybe his ceiling is our second stringer of the future. I mean, I, there could be a world where Zarek Cooper is a starter on this team You know, two years from now. You never know what happens with injuries. I think that's right. I think you're pretty much saying Zara Cooper is our number two guy of the future by, by not uh, giving him a chance now because Hunter Johnson will most likely come in, wow people, and he will be relegated to number two going forward or number three. Right. And as long as he's getting the right reps in practice against the second team, let's say, you know, they can mix him into that. I'm good with that, but I think he can do that while still holding the red shirt distinction. True. Um, so other guys, I guess, on the offensive side of the ball, DeAndre Overton, um, he needs to put on weight. 
because he's going to step into that Mike Williams role, and you already have Williams and Deion Kane in front of him at that position. Very little opportunity for him to see playing time this year. Yeah, redshirt him. Um, yeah, and then TJ Chase at uh, this point is just too small. Needs time to develop. Yeah, I mean, I've heard we have some good wide receivers right now. I think we yeah. might we might be okay at that position. I read too they're looking at a redshirt for JC Chalk. This is a similar situation to Isaiah Simmons in that there's just a pretty pretty heavy amount of depth ahead of him. Um, they, they expect him to play sort of that H-back Garrett Williams blocking tight end type. Uh, so it looks like he'll redshirt as well. And Milan Richard has really come on, so that adds a little bit more depth at tight end. Milan Richard. Milan. Milan. And I'm just trying to be sophisticated and worldly here, Cody. Milan does sound kind of a little bit better. So, yeah, J.C. Chalk is, I think, and I've said this about him, I really like the guy. His pedigree is, it, I think he in time, you know, we, we see all these guys hitting the ground running. I think third, fourth year in the program will be a really good tight end for us as a, as a blocker and as a catching tight end. Yeah, it's interesting with Clemson tight ends. I mean, we've gone from the days of like Michael Palmer and Dwayne Allen. Uh, took We had about a, a, a skip year there until Jordan Leggett last year. Really. Joe Gore? Or Brandon Ford. Who was good. Joe Gore, Joe was Gore is a guard. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Brandon, uh, Brandon Ford is how I was thinking of. Yeah, right. So sort of catch first tight ends. And I think you know what Garrett Williams gives you is sort of going back to the the age back mold or the the block first tight end. Um, just an athlete because he right. can catch as a tight end too. He can do it all. And he'll he, develop that. I mean, he's a sophomore. Right. So do we expect uh, Let me ask I'm trying to think I had to ask this. Jordan Leggett, he's going to get, you know, 3 fourths or more of the of the attempts of the targets. How do you expect uh, Tony Elliott to distribute the balls across the tight ends this year? I think what you saw in the national championship game will will be the theme going forward. I think they're going to try to use him a lot more in the passing game. Um, in terms of like, are you talking about other tight ends as well? I, I think you're going to see a lot of t- uh, Jordan Leggett, and rightfully so. Rightfully you think, so. You think Richard will get in there though? Some. Uh, yeah, uh, tough to say. I probably more mop up duty. But you think, keep in mind, I feel like Richard's been in the program. It seems like he's been there here for like four or five years. It's his third year in the program, but he's only a sophomore, Richard sophomore. So he's still got two, you know, very good years after this. Fair enough. Um, well, that's a position I think that doesn't get enough credit or, or shine when we look at the high-powered offense. You know, Leggett certainly had played a big role last year. I remember in the Notre Dame game and several other games, kind of catching balls. He was um, great in the national championship game. Just mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. I don't. I blacked that game out. <laughs> My, I rewatched my, my it like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You got the, that tidbit. Um, guys, anything else about the freshman or any other camp notes? So if they decided Dexter Lawrence was going to have to redshirt, who do you think would tell him? <laughs> <laughs> Tyrone Crowder? And the, <laughs> on the slide. As they're going down the slide, yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, that's not going to happen. In all seriousness, great that he is ready to go and that you feel good that you can still have a, an elite interior line moving Wilkins out. And maybe just a quick bit on Pagano. Pagano has been a great player. was a great player for, for us last year. He's been overshadowed, it seems like, his whole career. He's a darn good player, man. And he's like any, he would be starting on you know, 98, 99% of Division One teams. He's he's coming off the bench. He seems to just love and it he, all. He and doesn't complain. You don't and you don't hear much about him. No, uh, David Hood actually put out an article today on TigerNet um, talking about how he was taking boxing classes in the off season uh, to really improve his footwork and his hands. Uh, so I mean, this is a guy that's dialed in. He I think he has a good future in the NFL. Yeah, well, let's. Yeah, maybe we should talk about him more. Give him a little bit of credit where it's due. Well, you guys will have that chance uh, later on this week. We're going to look at position group previews. Uh, you'll definitely be able to chat about the defensive line and sort of where you expect some breakouts to happen. Um, maybe in that in that vein, looking ahead, um, look midweek for us to put out our part one of our season preview. Again, that's going to be kind of a, an introspective look at the Clemson roster, uh, breakout players, position group previews, all that good stuff. Um, in about a week, we're going to sit down and look at the road to the playoff, uh, discuss really how we how we expect the season to break down nationally and within the ACC and on Clemson's schedule. We'll give our season predictions and kind of our, you know, where do we see the, the ceiling or the end result for this year's Clemson team come out. Um, and then a few days after that, really around midweek, uh, I guess that would be right around the beginning of 
September. Um, that'll be when you guys can see our Auburn preview show. So to correct ourselves on one thing really quick, uh, the graveyard, uh, the first opponent we put in the graveyard was Wake Forest back in 1948. So Cody, you can put your foot in your mouth right after you apologized to Frank Howard. Um, <laughs> it's, it's for, I think, wins uh, over ranked teams on the road is what, or a neutral site game is yeah, what I how believe how ignorant can I be? That's because I live in California. I'm super ignorant. But he yeah. grew up in Greenville. And I made a Florida State comment. They've publicized their graveyard as well over time. And most, most painful to me is the piece of our football field they took uh, from the 2013 game. They publicized that. Let's so. take that back this year. Let's take Agreed. a piece of their field, yeah. Definitely. Uh, well, that's all we have for today, guys. We're um, really excited for the year. Thanks again to all for tuning in. Uh, stay tuned for our season preview stuff. And go Tigers.